when you think about people who have changed the world, you know, world changers, people who have done great things for God, I don't think people like wake up and think, I'm going to be a world changer. You know what I'm saying? I, I think what they did, people who have impact on the world, people who are, are influential, they make themselves available to God. And God's not looking for our ability because he doesn't need anybody to do his work. He's not looking for our, our ability, but he's looking for our, our availability. I think that's the most important thing that we realize, God, here I am. I'm available to you. Work in and through my life how you see fit. Because he's looking into each one of our lives and saying, I want to show myself strong to you. And I want to show myself strong through you to, to impact other people. And that's every single one of us. If we make ourselves available, God will work in and through us. So we've been in this series called All Things New, where we're looking at Jesus' promise in Revelation 21.5, where he said, behold, I'm making all things new. And when we look at this promise of Jesus making all things new, there's three tenses to it. There's a past tense to it, that if you're in Christ, you've trusted Christ in what he did for you then as 2 Corinthians 5 says, that you're a new creation in Christ. Behold, all things have been made new. So we're new creations because of what Jesus did for us. And then in the present tense, he's making what's true of us already in the past tense a reality in the present tense of our lives. So we talked about renewing our passion. We talked about renewing our mind. But I want you to always remember this through this series. There's a future day coming when Jesus is going to set it all straight. When he returns, and he is coming again, when he returns, there's going to be the resurrection of the dead. Everybody that's gone to heaven before us is going to come back with him. There'll be the resurrection of the dead. He's going to recreate the heavens and the earth, and we're going to live with him in, in, in perfect peace for all, all eternity. How many are looking forward to that? Like It's so much better than anything this world can offer. So, um, most of these messages, though, are going to be, what is he doing in the present tense? What's he doing in the present tense? And today, I want to talk about how he's renewing our hearts. Every single person in this room, we need one of two things. You either need a new heart today, and that means you give your life over to Jesus. And when you give your life over to Jesus and the Holy Spirit comes into your life, he awakens you to him and who he is, and you now desire to love him and love people more than anything else. That's what a new heart does. If you've never trusted in Jesus, put your life in his hands. He created you. He knows all your stuff. He knows all the things that, that, that go on behind the closed doors, and he loves you anyway. He says, give it all to me. So we need a new heart or we need a renewed heart. Because when you get a new heart, it doesn't mean everything is perfect, right? Wouldn't it be great if as soon as you trusted Christ, like, boom, out pops Jesus, and I never get mad. I'm a perfect driver now. I don't get mad at people on the road. I, I, it, it's not the way it works. In this life, we are being 
conformed, we're being sanctified, we're being changed little by little, decision by decision to become more and more like Jesus. I heard somebody say recently that this process of sanctification, becoming like Jesus, is where God makes our free will desire good. Like good becomes the first choice all the time. So we're looking for that. So how do, this, this thing about our hearts, how does he renew our hearts? When you think of your heart, obviously we think of that muscle that's pumping blood through your body. There's your physical heart. But what we're talking about is that uh, unseen heart. You know, it, the Greek word for it is cardia, which where we get cardiovascular system and all that. But when you see it in, in, in the New Testament, what it means is your heart is that, that part of you that is, it's the seat of your desires. It's the seat of your affections. It's where decisions and things come from, ultimately from your heart. It's where passion comes from. You know, we use that phrase, we say, you know, she has a heart for Africa, or he played with heart today. It's, that's what we're talking about. And so how do we renew our hearts? Colossians 3.1 says this, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. We're to set our hearts on things above, not have our hearts affections on temporary things, but to have our hearts set on things above, heavenly thinking. And so I would define it this way, a, a, a renewed heart or a heart that's being renewed is a heart that's like Jesus's heart. It, it's, it's a heart that is renewed or, or being renewed looks like Jesus's heart. And that's how we're going to talk about this morning. How do we renew our hearts? How do we cooperate with God in the renewing of our hearts? So how do we develop a heart like Jesus? How do you develop that? Because today, Listen, we're carrying junk. Some of you have had a rough week. Some of you have had fine weeks. It's, it, but those rough weeks are coming too, right? And when you've had a rough week, you wonder like, man, how can I be like Jesus? Why do I, you know, act the way I do? Well, I, I think if you tune in, I think God's going to speak a word of conviction to all of us. Because I've been convicted all week preparing this, going, okay, fall short there, I fall short there, I fall short there. But that's the good part about the Word of God. God doesn't condemn us. He convicts us so that we can change and so that we can be more like Him. So the first thing I want you to write down is this. To develop a heart like Jesus, I need to care about what Jesus cares about. That's pretty simple, right? I need to care about what Jesus cares about. When you, when you look, when we look at our lives, am I caught up? Do I care about the same things that he cares about or am I caught up into my own world? Often for me, I'm caught up in my own little world and I forget about what Jesus cares about. Anybody relate to that? Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. There's two things that are deep on the heart of Jesus. Two things. And the first one is this. 
He loves and he cares for this world. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes shall not perish but have eternal life. God, Jesus loves the the people of this world with a deep, deep love. And so to have a, a heart like Jesus, to have a renewed heart is to love people. It's, it's really, and it's, it's to love people that are even difficult to love. It's easy to love people who, who love us and like us, but man, the people who don't like us or love us, how do I do with that? Well, Jesus, there's a story in Matthew 9 that says that when Jesus saw the crowds of people, he was walking and they saw crowds of people, it says that he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Did you catch that? He saw the crowds. He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless. They were just like us who are harassed and helpless at times or the people around us that are harassed and helpless by bills they can't pay, relationships that are broken, things in life that hurt, etc. where people are harassed and helpless but Jesus had compassion on them. Compassion is different than empathy or sympathy. Empathy and sympathy are feelings that we have when we see somebody else's pain, or maybe you've experienced that same pain and you're moved by it. Compassion is, is when your feelings move to action. You, you, you move from just feeling bad for somebody to, I'm going to help. I'm going to help the harassed and the helpless. I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to, at minimal, pray. And so for us, there are people around us that are harassed and helpless every day. All we got to do is open our eyes. And interesting, in that verse where Jesus had compassion on the harassed and the helpless, the context of it, right after that, the, that, that verse, it says that Jesus looked to his disciples, and he looked to the people that were around him, and he said, he said, look, the harvest is ripe. He said, but the workers are few. Pray that the Lord of the harvest would send harvesters into the field. Jesus is using this agricultural analogy that like the harassed and the helpless were like fruit to go be picked, fruit to go and harvest and bring into the kingdom of God. And you know around us, we see harassed and helpless people on a daily basis. Am I moved with compassion? It's so easy to judge first of somebody who's broken, somebody who's harassed and helpless, or somebody who doesn't think like us or act like us. It's so easy for our first reaction to be judgment. Let's be honest. And God wants our first reaction to be like Jesus, to be compassionate. Because let's be honest, if you've been a Christian for a while, You've been around church for a while. We sometimes think that people who don't believe in Jesus should act like people who do. People who don't follow Jesus should act like people who follow Jesus. Jesus didn't, we don't see that in the scriptures, right? Paul even talks about that. Now, somebody who calls themselves a believer, who, who claims the name of Jesus or says they're a follower, that's a whole other level of accountability one to another. But that's in-house, right? That's family stuff. 
People who are outside of the church, we shouldn't have expectations of them, but sometimes we legislate morality, so to speak. But what we need to do is realize they need, they need to, Jesus. That's why Jesus came, was to lay down his life for broken people. So I would, I would tell you this, that ask Jesus to break your heart with what breaks his Just pray and say, make me a compassionate person. Start there before you do anything and let him do that for you. The second thing that that is near to Jesus' heart is he loves his church. Jesus loves his church. Ephesians 5.25 says that Jesus laid down his life for the church. In Matthew 16, there's a... Jesus is with his disciples in a place called Caesarea Philippi. And we, a few of us were in Israel recently. Have I told you that we went to Israel recently? We have. And uh, it's, in Caesarea Philippi, the, at, at the time of Jesus, was the, the center in Israel of pagan worship. They worshiped all these false gods, all these statues and stuff like that, and had all these little temples where, where pagan worship happened. And so Jesus takes his disciples there and he says, who do the people say that I am? So they're in picture there. What they're seeing is all this pagan stuff around them. He says, who do the people say I am? They say, oh, some say you're a prophet, you're Jeremiah, John the Baptist, come back. And Jesus turns it on them and he says, who do you say I am? And you remember Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God emphasizing that word living God. They're seeing all these dead gods and statues and stuff going around him. He says, you're the son of the living God. And Jesus says, listen, on that revelation, Peter, I will build my church. I will build my church and the powers and gates of hell shall not stand against it. And that's an amazing thing that Jesus said. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail over it. A gate is a defensive thing. It's to not let somebody in. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to build my church. Look to your left and to your right at the person. You're looking at the church. You are the church. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail. That's going through the gates of hell. With the go- That's how powerful the gospel is. And bringing people from into the kingdom of God that, we're, that are broken. Jesus loves his church. We don't go to church. We are the church. Wherever you go, there's the church 24-7. This is a building that we gather together and use to function, but you are the church. People are the church. When I hear people say, I love the local church, and I backtrack before I tell you this. I love the local church. I love the fact that there's a church meeting a block away and, and over here and all over the world because it's, it's every tribe, every tongue, every nation. And there's just, we're a pocket, a piece of, of the local church. And when I hear people say, I love Jesus, but, but not the church. Ooh, that's like telling Jesus, I love you, but I hate your body. I love you, but I can't stand your bride. I love you, but I don't like your family. Don't say that. Jesus loves his church. He laid down his life for this broken yet beautiful thing called the church. All right, secondly, to develop a heart like Jesus, to have my heart renewed, I need to be indifferent 
about what he is indifferent to. I need to be indifferent. You can write that down. I need to be indifferent to what he's indifferent to. And you may say to yourself, indifferent? Are Christians supposed to be indifferent to anything? Yeah, actually we are. When you see what Jesus was indifferent to, you'll realize what I'm talking about. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. And so his kingdom is not made up of the same values that the world tries to lay on us all the time or the things that we're taught. It's, it's countercultural. His kingdom is not of this world. So I need to be indifferent to what, what, what he was indifferent to. Jesus was indifferent to politics. The disciples and, and the Jews that were following him wanted to make Israel you know, a powerhouse again, make Israel great again. <laughs> and yet, uh, that wasn't why Jesus came. He didn't come for that. He came to build his kingdom, to build his church. Jesus was indifferent to personal danger, right? Remember the story where he's, the boat is on the Sea of Galilee and it's rocking and they all think they're gonna die. And Jesus is back there sawing logs, taking a nap. He's like, my father's taking care of me. Jesus was indifferent to religious traditions. The Jews wanted to, the God after him for, for healing on the Sabbath or for letting his disciples pick grain on the Sabbath. He was like, he was indifferent to that. But two things in, in particular. First of all, he was in, indifferent to impressing others. I wish I could say that was true of me, but it's not. I want you to like me. I want you to you know, believe in me and all of that. Jesus didn't have that same weakness that we have as people in wanting to impress others. So I would say this, let's each one of us make a decision today that we are not going to live for the popularity, approval, impress, impressing others, but we're gonna live loving God and for, living for his approval living to do things his way and just let that go out towards our relationships and, and, and the lives that we live in a way that we're not, we're not living to impress anybody by how much we have or, or we're embarrassed by what we don't have or this or that or our looks or anything. We're not out to impress anybody. Second thing Jesus was indifferent to is he was indifferent to getting rich. He was indifferent to getting rich. In Luke 12, 15, he says, life is not measured by your stuff. <laughs> That's the Scott Applegate version. He, life is not measured by what you have or what you accumulate. He says, be rich towards God. Now, there's nothing wrong with having money. There's nothing wrong with being rich. Jesus talked a lot about it. He, he said that it's hard for a rich person to, to, to not love their money or, or to trust their money more than they trust God. But I, I know people with money who love God and, and they know that God gave them money to fund the kingdom of God and to be generous and to help people. If you're, all of us are rich compared to the rest of the world. The poorest person in this room is rich compared to 98% of the rest of the world. So there, there's nothing wrong with money, but here's the deal. What, what will matter at the end? What will matter is not how much money we have, but what did I do with the money? That's what Jesus talks about. What did I do with my possessions? What did I do with these things? That's what's gonna matter most. Our beloved Mark Bullion is gonna give you point number three. 
Welcome Mark Bouillon, who is our, our children's pastor. First of all, thank you. If, if I've not met you, I am Mark Bouillon, as Scott said. I have the privilege of leading children's ministries and youth, as I said a couple weeks ago, from diapers to diplomas. That's my role here at the church. So I'm, I'm blessed to be able to do that. I'm blessed to be able to come up here and, and say a couple things about the third point. And I kind of wonder why Scott gives me these ones. Because last time I preached you guys, I told you that Scott gives me the real, the real blessings of the, the topics to talk about. And I generally cry when I talk about it. And today is going to be no exception. So Scott, thank you. Thank you. This, the next point that I'm going to talk about must be something that I'm either really good at or really bad at. I'm a high school coach, and the point that I'm going to be mentioning talks about anger. So hopefully the anger management classes that I've been going through will. You'll see it manifest through me. But the third point that you're going to see is coming up. It says, I need to get angry at the things that he gets angry about. Did you catch that? I said it's okay to be angry. And some of you guys just took a big, deep, silent, oh, great. Hold your breath, because there is a news flash. You know what? Jesus got angry. He did. And sure enough, he did it without sinning. And that's the deflating part there. You, got, you all know the story of Jesus walking into the temple, and he saw what was happening, and he went over to the money-changing table, and what did he do? He took that table, and he Flipped it, and money goes flying everywhere. And the he probably got people's attention in that. Anger in itself, just the, the, the sheer fact of anger is not sinful. It was a righteous anger that Jesus had when he went into the temple. And I want you to understand that because if I, if, if you, if I did a show of hands here, how many of you guys were angry this week, I would be willing to bet that all of your hands would go up. Some of you probably raising your feet too. That's just, we, we live, Scott mentioned that driving thing. Boy, nothing pushes my buttons any faster than driving. Righteous anger is just basically getting angry over the things that makes Jesus angry. If you put it in the basic terms, that's it. Anger, get this, I, I got these two little, these little quotes and I love them. It said, anger is not sin when the flame of anger is kindled from a true passion for God and his purposes. It's not anger. It's not anger. It's not sin. Anger is not sin when, it, when that anger is steered head on into the sin itself, not to the person that committed the sin. So if we can put that in perspective and we can have that anger, it's just something that we're seeing that's happening. It's okay. It's what we do with it afterwards that usually causes the sin. And I'm willing to bet that we've all felt that righteous anger from time to time, have you? You know the difference. You know when it's coming from a true passion of God or when it's coming from yourself. And there's a huge difference there, and you know it. And if you don't know it, you feel it, I guarantee it. It's just what it got. It, it, we just need to know the manifestation of that anger, where it's coming from. The, the first point that I want to make, the little bullet point in there is this. Jesus gets angry when the needs of children go unmet. And the scripture here is from Mark 10, 13 and 14. I would like to read it to you. It says this. People were bringing the little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. So make a mental picture here. Jesus is there, and there's all these people, and the children are trying to get through and touch Jesus. And his bouncers, called the disciples, are standing there, 
and they're rebuking the kids. They're like, get back, kid. You know that picture where you get back here and the kids were like trying to run? They're rebuking the kids saying, go away. He's, he's got other things to do. Go away. Shoo. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. It tells us in the scripture here that Jesus was indignant. Some of you might question what that, that definition truly is. It's just simply a feeling or showing of anger or annoyance at what is perceived unfair treatment. I made a mental picture here. Jesus is there. He's watching the little children trying to come to him, and his disciples are doing this. I wonder if he just scowled. He made that face. He kind of shook his head. Oh, they don't get it. And he looked up, and he said the, those famous words, let the little children come to me. If you don't know me personally, I have a passion for children and for youth. I was an elementary school teacher for 10 years. I've been a, a privilege to be able to, to be a children's pastor for now 13, almost 14 years. I've spent and dedicated a lot of my adult life to working with children. And a lot of you guys, even in this room, probably think I, I have that childlike attitude, you know. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I'm confident. I've, I know. I still pick my nose and I roll my eyes and, and I occasionally stick out my tongue. Guilty. There's people that are now questioning my handshake this morning. Guarantee it. Some of you guys are like this now. But, but seriously, the, nothing pushes my button faster than when I see and hear of something happening to innocent children. Nothing gets me more riled up in my anger. I become sickened and angry when I watch the nightly news, when I see things happen in our world and even around the corner of my house, around in our own neighborhoods, at children being neglected and abused at the hands of those that are supposed to be helping them and nurturing them and loving them. When I get angry, it's out of a righteous anger. I know it. I want everybody in this room to understand we cannot neglect our children. If you've got grandchildren, you cannot neglect your grandchildren. I don't make a lot of guarantees. I can't tell you that the Broncos are going to win today. What? But I can give you one guarantee that you can take to the bank today. That if you don't influence your children in a God-fearing manner, this world will. And I... I wasn't even the crying part. I see it firsthand every single day when I step in the high school and watch my girls, watch my kids. This world is a deadly influence on our kids. We've got to be passionate to go out there and fight for our kids, to fight for our grandchildren. If you're hearing this message, if you're hearing these words that I'm speaking and you're, you're convicted, or even if you're moved, ask God what he's asking you to do. I had a, I, 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 at the in-house meeting a couple of weeks ago, I had somebody come up to me um, and said, how can I help the youth? How can I take them to coffee? How can I take some of these guys to lunch? Somebody was moved in that message that we spoke in the in-house meeting a couple weeks ago. If God is asking you to do something, please listen to him and ask him. Just raise your hands and say, God, what do you want from me? 
Seek him and see how he wants you to respond. The, the, the second bullet point is this. Jesus gets angry when the suffering of others is overlooked. The, mess, the, the verse is from Zechariah 7, 8 through 10, and it says this. And the word of the Lord came again to Zechariah. And this is what the Lord Almighty said. Administer true justice. Show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. Do not plot evil against one another. I had never been stirred in my spirit more about the sufferings of other people than when I went to the Dominican Republic twice. The first time was eye-opening. The second time, I was moved even greater. Going there in the villages of the Dominican Republic and seeing hundreds of adults and children living in the conditions that some of us have never even fathomed. The conditions and the people living there really struck a chord with me. Because I physically got to touch them, smell them, I'm saying the conditions, and see firsthand what these people go through. Scott said it accurately. We are richer than 98% of the, even the poorest person here is richer than 98% of this world's population. And when you go there and you're stepping in the muck, walking between houses, it, it struck a chord with me. The fellow human beings that just have a different skin tone than I do and a different dialect than I do are going without basic necessities. And it got me. The team that I went with on the first time, Scott even saw this firsthand. I got on the bus after we were in a house of a woman who was ravaged with cancer. And somebody in this group, I can't remember exactly who it was, took their necklace off and gave it to the woman. And I prayed for her, and I prayed with her and her nine-year-old son. And I didn't know what was going to happen. But we got back on the bus, and God was just, just taking my heart and raking it. Because here I am, getting on an air-conditioned bus, going back to the base so I could fill my plate full of food. I couldn't eat that day. It hurt so much to see that. And that it was an anger and it was a hurt inside of me of God saying, what do I need to do? Scott mentioned a few minutes ago, I was moved because of that anger. I was moved because of what I saw. And if you're moved to something and if you're angry about something that you have seen oppressed people, I'm going to ask you the same thing I said before. Ask God, what are you called to do about it? What is, what's my role is what you should ask God. I know there's millions of people living in conditions like this, but God, what do you want me to do? What's my responsibility? You've showed this to me. Now what am I supposed to do? That's the question that we need to be asking when we see this. And my hope in saying all of everything that I said in this, this third point is this. I'm not here to condemn anybody. If you've got anger issues, seek God in it. Seek help through that. If you're convicted by anything that was said, I implore you to listen and follow what God is asking you to do. Thanks for letting me talk. Thanks, Scott. Thank you. Mark, we are truly grateful for you. Thank you for loving people the way you do in this church. <clears throat> I would have given you a high five, but after what you said, I'm going to think twice next time. 
Last thing is this. If we're going to renew our hearts and have a heart like Jesus, I need to sacrifice for what he sacrificed. I need to sacrifice for what he sacrificed. Say that word sacrifice with me. Sacrifice. What comes to your mind when you hear the word sacrifice? Jesus said in Mark 10, 45, he said, for, for the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as ransom for many. He came to serve. Jesus said that the reason he didn't come to be served, but to serve. A servant sacrifices to make life better for someone else. That's what Jesus did for us. He, as, as a servant, he laid down his life so that we could have life. Um, sacrifices come in small sizes and big sizes. Um, do you know that there are people who come every Saturday to clean the church, to make it all clean and nice so that we can have our time together on Sunday? They don't have to do it, but they sacrifice their time or a little bit of their Saturday to come and make sure you and I can have a clean building to come to. That's a sacrifice. Now, obviously, you know, they would probably tell you, I love to serve this and that, whatever, but you know what? Uh, it's still a sacrifice and it's appreciated. But think about Jesus as our example. He sacrificed so that we could have life and so that others could have life. You and I need to build our lives on the truth that Jesus loves you so much that he gave his life for you and that he rose from the grave and gave you now the power over sin, death, and the devil and a promise of eternity with him. And so we need to build our lives on that and then give our lives to what he sacrificed for. Mark 8.35 says, if you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. Do you find yourself today hanging on to life? You're holding it. He says, if you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. That sacrifice, really for us, it's kind of a, a, a novation thing that we say a lot. I, I know we didn't invent it, but we sure use it a lot, is your time, talent, and treasure. God has given each one of us a certain amount of time. We don't know the expiration date of that time, but you've been given a certain amount of time. You've been given a certain amount of talents and abilities, and you've been given treasure that's on loan from God for you to steward. And what we do with our time, what we do with our talent, what we do with our treasures, to, to God is measured by our generosity with it, our sacrificial generosity with those things, our time, our talent, and our treasure. We get one shot at life. You get one shot. And we have the opportunity, regardless, even starting today, to say, Lord, I want you to have all my heart. I want you to have all my life. Here I am, uh, Lord, uh, I don't know what it means to be a world changer, but I'm making myself available to you. So if you go back to my opening thought about that, let's don't sit back and wonder how to change the world. Just make yourself available and, and, and watch the world around you change as you let God renew your heart. As you develop a heart like Jesus, the world around you will begin to change. 
Some people might seem called to bigger things, but we're all called to the big thing, and that's the kingdom of God. Let's ask him to help us to care about what he cares about. Be indifferent to the things of this world. Be indifferent to what he was indifferent to. As Mark said, to get angry, to feel that emotion over what angers him and do something about it. And then to sacrifice for what he sacrificed. Will you stand with me and pray? Would you just as kind of an act of faith this morning, just put your hands out in front. Just, and look at your hands for a second. They're empty. Lord, we come to you empty-handed, emptied of ourselves, filled with you. And Lord Jesus, we want to be your hands. You live and dwell inside of us. We want to, to love people well. Lord, let our hands be used as blessings. Let our hands sacrifice. Blessing and sacrifice, Lord. Develop our hearts, Jesus, to be like yours. We know we fall short and we admit that to you today. God, I fall short. But I thank you that that though we are imperfect in ourselves, we're following you who is perfect. You are our savior, our teacher, and our example of how you want us to live. Lord, let us repent of sin today. Let us repent of apathy in our walks. Let us passionately, wholeheartedly, with renewed hearts, follow after you for your glory. In Jesus' name.